Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Listen, if not one of you in the room is feeling it, I promise you I am for all of you. So you can go ahead and open up the Genesis 4. Genesis 4. We've been walking through this Genesis study real quick. Show of hands. How many of y'all have enjoyed this so far? Kicking off a new book, Genesis. Good. Uh, I think we've kind of gathered that we really enjoy as a family walking through books. Um, There's two main reasons I've personally enjoyed this. The first one is this. I've read through Genesis quite a few times, okay? The Bible's good. I like it. I don't read a lot of other books. Primarily the Bible. It's weird. People would be like, read this, this, this book about whatever. I'm like, no. I don't have time for that. But I've really liked it for two reasons. The first reason is I've realized that I've read through Genesis a lot, never really read through Genesis. You know what I'm saying? Any, any of y'all just read the Bible to read the Bible, get nothing out of it, and then it's, you're going to do it at 8 a.m. the next day too? <laughs> And I started reading it, reading it, and like today, like we're going to talk about, stuff started jumping off the page. And the second reason is in, in just three weeks, I've learned freshly how foundationally important Genesis is, how foundationally important the Old Testament is. Why do I say that? Because we as Christians, which I hope most of us are, we love the ideas of Jesus and the New Testament. And, and even people who, who either have progressive Christianity, which depending on what type of progressive Christianity, I don't call that Christianity, or, or just like the ideas of Jesus. It's hard to not like the ideas of Jesus. The dude was all about loving and healing and being awesome and dying for you because you suck. You know what I'm saying? Who's, how could you not like that? Right? And if, but, but if we like those ideas, you actually can't like those without agreeing with Genesis. You actually can't like those without understanding Genesis because the story started there. And we're going to talk about that. And that's why it's been a little fresh for me. But last week, Mark talked about this idea of the fall, and I'm so glad he taught that, not me, because that's a tough one. So give it up for Mark Fair real quick. Mark always be out here taking the hard passages, and every time I'm like, glory, glory, hallelujah, give me John 3.16, Okay. <laughs> So he taught on this idea of the fall. You know, church is supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. Hey, we didn't even do this yet. My name's Phil. If you didn't know, everybody say hi, Phil. I realize a lot of y'all probably don't know me. It's been a hot minute. You don't need to know me. No, Jesus. But he talked briefly about this. Because of this first sin, this first disobedience, sin and death entered the world and has been here ever since. You and I were both born into it. Eve ate the apple, so when someone ever asks you why the world is the way it is, blame her. Okay? Okay? But really, the world became the way it is the minute sin entered. So anytime you have someone that's like, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, why is the world the way it is? What about this, that, and the other? Sin. Tyler Wygant, one of my best friends, always, always words it so well. Fallen world, bro. That's what he always says. Fallen world. What do you want me to do? Fallen world. And we continue in this story that we're at the next chapter now, chapter 4, and it's about to be crazy. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, God really, in a cool way, revealed fresh and new things to me. Like, I've read the story of Cain and Abel 400 times. How many of y'all know the story of Cain and Abel? Okay, he killed his brother because he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and cool, don't kill your brother. And then we move on. 
No, 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 no. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing joint and marrow. Cain and Abel about to pierce joint and marrow today. Amen? But real quick, before we do that, we have family. I say that all the time. If you've been here one time or 17,000 times since day one, 14 years ago, you are family. So real quick, real quick, real quick, we got to just wake up a little bit because Phil's about to up the energy. I cried three times already this morning. I'm past the tears and I'm on to the passion, all right? So I need you to find a neighbor real quick. I need you to get interlock fingers with them real quick, just interlock fingers. Don't even give them a high five. Mary, you better do it. I'm looking at you, Mary. I'll call people out individually if you want. I need you to interlock fingers, and I need you to look them in the eyes, dead in their corneas, and I need you to say, it's game time. Uh-huh. It is, y'all. It is, y'all. It is, y'all. All right. And you know, real quick, just for the sake of engaging the neighbor, the other, turn another direction, turn another direction. You don't have to interlock fingers. Find someone new. Give them a high five and say this. Give them a high five and say this. The Ravens are going to win the bowl next year. The Pittsburgh Steelers are from the place we're not headed when we die. It's a real place. It's a real place. They're not the Lord's team. The word of the Lord has spoken. All right, all right, all right. Church is a little fun, right? Church should be fun. Church should be fun. Church is never meant to be this melancholy. You come sit, feel bad about yourself, and then you leave. Nah, it's the best news ever. So let's have a little fun. Here we go. We are going to get into uh, Genesis 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 to start. They'll be up on the screens for you. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to read out of a Bible. It's a good thing. If you've got your mobile devices, Google Genesis 4. I'm in the NIV. Thank you for asking. I'm in the NIV. All right, here it is. Verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Pause. Well, Megan, why are you laughing? You laughed louder than anybody else just now. I'm concerned. Here you go, point number one. Get married and make babies, okay? Get married and make babies. There's no slide for it. This is the word of the Lord. It literally is. It's, it is, okay? So I, if you want to be faithful... I need some married people to start showing up with new babies up in here, all right? Amen. All right, let's continue. Let's continue. In verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. That's important. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits and soil of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain... In his offering, he did not look with favor or respect, some other versions say. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Let's stop there for a second. I just want to camp here for a minute. And the first reason I want to camp here is to say this. Y'all, we, the human race, are the absolute worst. Okay? We are terrible. I'm going to explain why I say that. It took three chapters to break God's only rule. Okay? Okay, not a full book. Like, we didn't get to get to the ending and then make a mistake. It took three chapters for us to break God's only rule. And then it took one whole more chapter till we started killing each other. 
Okay? We are the worst. Let me give you a little breakdown of it because I'd just be like that sometimes. It, in fact, from when Adam was created, when man was created from dust, it is 24 whole verses till we broke that first rule. And now this is probably unnecessary, but I'm going to say it anyways. After that, Eve was created and only nine verses came before we broke the only rule. Again, it's Eve's fault if you didn't catch that. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Mark did talk about that, by the way. It's both of their faults. We're the worst. And then how about this? Just 26 verses after that is the first example of humans killing each other. So angry, so bitter, so resentful that we would kill each other. We're the worst. But I I read this and I'm like, man, this seems depressing. It seems like God's really focusing on these negative things. But I think right off the bat, like we've said a bunch of times in this series already, it said this to me, that God is the author of this stories, and these are the instances where we try to take the pen. We've said that a couple times, right, that we've all got this story that God's written on our heart, and then obviously the ultimate story is here. And there's so often, we try to take the pen because we know better. And every time we try to take the pen, we're supposed to sign here, and we're signing like down here with the wrong name, looking stupid, you know what I'm saying? And then we're like, God, I need you again. And he's like, well, the line was up here, and I'm supposed to sign it. They took the pen here. But I think God is showing us this intentionally. I would argue the Bible starts out what some people might view as like negatively. I think he's doing it intentionally. Have you ever had someone ask you this question just by show of hands? If God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? If you haven't had someone ask you that, you don't talk to people about Jesus enough. All right? Because that is like the go-to. Well, no, good people exist and Why do bad things happen to good people? You want to know my answer to that every single time, and I'm probably in triple digits at this point, is this. There's no such thing as a good person. There was only one, and we killed him. This points to this idea that people from day one were never good. Even the two who were created, you could argue the closest to what heaven is, the garden. They were were perfect for a little bit. Even them, even them, they weren't good. From day one, we've never been good. I think God's saying that because, like, obviously when I talk about these verses and I say, like, oh, only 26 verses and we did all this stuff, there's, there's obviously time in between that, right? But I think Jesus, God, who wrote this whole thing, he chooses not to explain that time. Think about it. A lot happens in these chapters. Adam and Eve become one and they get married, right? Well, I don't know if they got married, if they were just like, you know, I don't, was there a wedding? I don't know, probably, maybe. Like, they had a kid. They had two kids, in fact. You know, even if you look through the story, they might have had more at that point is just listening to the first two boys, right? Yet, I don't see, like, wedding photos on Instagram, and I, I, there were no baby showers listed, all the things we really focus up on. There wasn't, like, no Facebook posts about their political opinions, you know. They didn't talk about any of that. He doesn't, he doesn't document a lot of what we seem to view as important in life. No, God chooses to do what? Highlight their brokenness. From, from almost page one of the Bible, he chooses to highlight their brokenness, and this stuck out to me, and I asked God, well, why? And he almost instantaneously said this, God's story of redemption started on page one. And I don't have a clicker, by the way, so this is all on you, girl. <laughs> God's story of redemption started on page one. I don't know about you, but I think I've been guilty in my faith of, in some ways, separating the New Testament and the Old Testament. Like, when I got saved uh, back in college, I, got, I was real passionate about this. I'm going to tell you one thing I was not passionate about, the Old Testament, okay? 
It was boring. It was confusing. And frankly, it conflicted with my science background, or at least I thought it did. And again, we just talked about that too. You know, in college, I was studying biochemistry, and then I got saved, and the Old Testament was saying certain things that professors weren't saying, and I was like, I don't really know what to do with that, so what am I going to do? Avoid it. I probably read through the New Testament 10 full times before I really started getting into the Old Testament. But let me tell you something. Uh, Four or five years ago, God convicted me about this, and he said this to me. If you don't know the whole story, then you can't teach it to other people. I would argue if we're in the room and we kind of separate it, we say, well, the Old Testament's hard, so I don't really know. You're going to struggle to teach it to other people. And when people are going to come to you with questions, you're not going to know because you haven't yourself leaned into them. Can I tell you something? When I leaned into my questions and studied the Old Testament, not only were all of them answered, but my faith actually grew when I was worried that it would shrink. And I've been guilty of separating these things, but here, even in these first few chapters of Genesis, while we love the Gospels and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, oh my gosh, I could sit in those all day long, which I could, and we love the stories of redemption and Jesus and all he did and how he loved, yet the full story of redemption started with Jesus talking about how broken we are in Genesis. If you aren't broken, you don't need to be fixed. If you've got no issues, no, no hardships, you don't need to be healed. And if there's nothing to be saved from, you don't need a savior. Do you immediately see how important it is to understand that God introduced our brokenness from page one? When we understand how broken we are, then we see our need for a savior. And then when we realize that we have one, it can bring you to tears when we realize it fresh. So if we know and understand this, I think what we can do is we can actually look at the passage differently. It's not just a story where a brother killed a brother and God was like, please don't do that. Let's move on. If that's our view of Cain and Abel, we've taken the word of God and like synced it to like a kid's story. And it's so much more than that. So I'm going to reread verses 3 through 8, understanding now that this is highlighting our brokenness intentionally so we look to who can save us. So I'm going to read 3 through 8. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his, his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So first things first, as we get into a a new point about this passage, is I'm personally a visual learner. Can I have a volunteer come up real quick so we could act this out? Susan Benton, no, sit down, sit down. You would kill me. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be Cain. You don't get to choose who you get to be. I almost brought a shovel for that, and I almost picked a shovel up and was like, any volunteers? Decided not to. Decided not to. Seemed aggressive. But murder is aggressive. All right. Now, most of us know this story, right? I don't think probably anybody in the room hasn't heard this, but I basically effectively knew it as this. Cain didn't do as much as he could have. It wasn't like a sufficient sacrifice, and because of that, he was mad and he killed his brother. And yet, as I studied, I think God taught me a lot more about the passage, and by extension, me. Do you read scripture and ask, okay, what's this saying about me? What's this saying to me? What's the application for me? Because again, the word of God is alive and active. 
So verse 3 says this. I'm going to explain a couple reasons that uh, it was a lot more than that. Uh, we're going to talk a little Greek or Hebrew specifically here. Verse 3 says, and I, this, I've never heard this before until earlier this week. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought. In the course of time. So I looked up some of the, some of the blah, 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 Hebrew, you know, getting into the original language and such, such like that. It translates a little more closely to at the end of days. This phrase was used like primarily in two places, at the end of a work day or at the end of a harvest. So think contextually, obviously, most of how they got food and stuff was via a harvest. What does it say Cain was? He worked the soil. Contextually, we can say this is saying that at the end of the harvest, Cain brought his offering. Can I, can I tell you something maybe you've never heard before? The problem with Cain's offering wasn't just what he brought, it was when he brought it. Not just what he brought, but when he brought it. And not only that, but, but Cain didn't bring the right thing. So the, the word firstborn, first of all, it says he brought a fattened portion. That's self-explanatory. He brought the good, good, okay? Good, good. Like none of y'all go to a steak restaurant. And that, if y'all go to a steak restaurant and ask for it well done, I swear on my life, you can exit this auditorium in Jesus' name right now. Because no steak, that's not a good portion. It's, you need the fattened portion. Anybody like the fat on a steak? I like the fat on there. That's my people right there. My wife thinks it's gross. I'll be like cutting some fat off specifically to eat it. And she's like, what are you doing with that? That goes in the trash. And I'll be like, read Genesis 4, baby. <laughs> Amen. Come on. This is the word of the Lord. So, so he brought the fattened portion. That's self-explanatory. We're called to bring the best. But then he uses this word firstborn. And if you break that down, what it does is uh, the, the Hebrew actually groups that into a few different types of terminologies about bringing uh, the first and best of what you had and not waiting. That same terminology was not used for Cain. Therefore, what Abel brought was not only brought at the correct time, meaning it was the first of what he had. Like he was supposed to bring, the minute he got it, hey, bring that to me because that's mine. That's where we, do you know that's where we get the idea of like 10% tithing? You should take the first 10%. It starts here. It starts here. But on top of that, he, he didn't bring what was the best that he had. He brought it at the wrong time, and he wasn't offering like fully of what he could. And this kind of changed how I viewed of it, and God kind of gave me this phrase, and y'all know I like my alliteration, and it's this. Your offering is an indication of your order. Your, and I'm going to explain what I mean here, your offering to God is an indication of your order. It's an indication of where you put God on your list. When and what you are willing to offer God will tell where God really ranks in your life. Will tell where God falls in your order. And, and I think, and I just even confessed this earlier today, I can be so guilty of being like, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, and because of that it forms my political beliefs, but I also really, he's like 15th on my list. I just like to be a Republican. Don't make me go there today, friends. Yet, I am so guilty at times of saying I love Jesus and he's third, seventh, twelfth on my list for the day. Now, you may say, well, Phil, times have changed. I don't have to sacrifice sheep anymore. And that's good because I don't have any to sacrifice. And I'm not trying to go steal a sheep. I would answer that's correct. In fact... Good sir, the Bible tells us in Romans exactly what we are to offer as modern day Christians. Romans 12, 1. 
Yeah, see, some of y'all my Bible nerds and went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Okay, so we don't have to offer the fattened portion of our firstborn sheep. Good. What do we have to offer? Your life, your body. And it says the word offer. I want you to hold on to that word to the end of the service, this idea of what you're offering. So for us, it's not sheep anymore, but what is it? I would argue the stakes, no pun intended, have actually been raised. <laughs> I know sheep's not steak, butcher in the room. I understand that. I think the, the stakes have actually been raised. Not, it's not a sheep anymore. It's your life. It's everything you do. It's how you speak, how you live, how you act, what you say and do to people, what you're doing behind closed doors. Let me ask you real quick as I prompt that, are you giving the fattest and the best of your life? Let me give you some examples. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about your order. This is about nobody else. I know what we do, y'all. I'm married. I got a family. I work with about three bajillion people. I know how we function. The minute I say something, you know it applies to somebody else. You're like, their order's so off. God is at least 13th on that list. And then I'll get to the one where God's 30th on your list, and you're like, we're sorry. This phone's been disconnected. I'm going to give you some examples, and I want you to be in your own space. I want you to think about this. If you only pray when things are bad... What's your order? If you only thank God for things when life is great, what's your order? If you only attend church when it fits your schedule, what's your order? If you only tither, donate money or your time, if your budget looks good that month, what's your order? If you only read your Bible, if the rest of the day's tasks are done, What's your order? If you only serve and give of your time, if your week went well and you're feeling up to it, what's your order? If you reach out to friends or community only when it benefits you, what's your order? That's the one I'm not going to lie. I tend to be like, I know 500 people that only text me when they got a problem. Ask me how I'm doing, okay? If you turn to substances or a screen when you're anxious, what's your order? When you're overwhelmed, do you tend to vomit your problems onto other people or to God? What's your order? And we, and we can keep going, right? But what is it for you? Like even as I said some of that stuff, what, what's God triggering? Because Holy Spirit's going to tell you what your thing is. I can't tell you what your thing is. What's it for you that God has fallen so far down the list? And we look at this story in Genesis 4, and God, listen, accepted the offering that was first and the best. So what's he saying? God, in any other place but first, in every area of your life, is the wrong place. And that's not me telling you that. So, so again, when we challenge, like, hey, find consistent community. Be in your Bibles. I don't know why we got to tell Christians this. Pray. Talk to the whatever it is, we don't do that to be religious or to fill a checklist. We want you to put God first in that place. When we tell you not to gossip, bring it to the Lord and let it fall off. Let God be first, not Jimmy, Timmy, Bobby, Sandy, you know, I couldn't think of another name. 
and you vomit everything to them first and let them know how frustrated you are with that other person, and then maybe you'll pray about it once you feel better. Where's God in your order? Because your offering is an indication of your order. I can pretty easily, and I think we all could probably agree to this, look at someone's life, even from the outside looking in, right, fruit. If, if someone's following the Lord, there will be certain fruit that will be present. We can look at people's lives and pretty easily see where God is in their order. So often, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk with young people or whoever, and, and they'll come and like, man, I got this issue and this issue and these issues, and I keep doing this, and I keep thinking these things, and I feel this way about myself, and I'll just be like, okay, have you talked to God at all this week? Well, no, <laughs> no, I didn't have time. <laughs> I didn't have time to talk to God. You know, I work a part-time job, and I'm taking two whole classes. Oh, y'all young adults, I'll be talking to y'all right now. Busiest people in the whole world that don't do anything. <laughs> I love you guys. I love you. It's easy to look at someone's life and see where God's at in their order. And the people I know in my life that God is often number one. And it's obvious that it's number one in their order. They look so much different than everyone else. Even all my Christian friends. Listen, I got a lot of Christian friends and family. Like, we believe the same thing, and that's beautiful. That's what community is all about. That's what the church is all about. Yet, and this is not a comparison thing, but I can take 10 to 15 of you and people here and be like, I know God's their number one. It's obvious. And that's not judgment on anybody, because there's times I'm sure people look at me and be like, yo, bro, God's not even on your list. And then there's hopefully times like, man, that's what I want. Where's God at on your list? But I don't want to be the person personally, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the person who says I love Jesus when in reality he's 15th place. That's not love. Like imagine if, if and I just talked about this, I was just honest about this. Imagine if I, I say I love my wife and I want to do this, that, and the other. I love my daughters, yet I prioritize seven things before them. Does that, that doesn't seem a ton like love. Let's be careful saying we love God, yet he's 15th on our list. I'm going to ask you again, what's your order? What's your order? What are you offering? And what I offer to God in my life is a clear indication of where he really is in my order. But in the same passage, in this same kind of area, I want to shift the focus and look a little deeper for my third point, all right? I want to, before we, don't put it up yet, don't put it up yet. I want to I talk about the idea that it says Cain was angry. That's in verse 5. It says, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, like a result of what just happened, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Let's even fill in some emotions right there. What are some emotions that come to mind when you think of the word downcast? Depressed, shame, sad, yes. Gotta say louder. Weary, yes. Defeated, heavy, angry, despair. How about guilt? Yeah. So all these things, right? That, this is what Cain's feeling. He's got a lot going on. He's angry, and he's filled in with all these different things. I wanna, before I put this point up, I want to tell us something. The main problem in this passage is not that he murdered his brother. The main, passage is that he, the main problem is that he allowed it to sit here first. My point is this. The things you allow to reside in you are either the key to lock sin out or the key to let sin in. 
Look what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says, the Lord said to Cain, and I love this. We're going to touch this briefly in a little bit. Uh, but, but the Lord was giving Cain another way out. Like he knew what happened. He's God. He didn't have to be like, you know, hey, why are you angry? Well, I know why you're angry because you screwed up and I'm like didn't look at your offering favorably. And even in a couple verses, he's like, hey, what happened to your brother? He knew what happened to his brother. He's up there watching like it's a movie scene. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this is a brutal movie scene. He didn't have to ask that. But then he follows and he tries to teach Cain something. Do you know God's always doing that with you? He's always giving you time and another chance so he can teach you something. Otherwise, we'd have all been struck dead by lightning already. He's giving you time so he can teach you something. Are you learning? But look what he says in verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and it desires you. And it desires you. The things you allow to reside in you, that resentment, that anxiety, that bitterness, that anger, that apathy, that laziness, that lust, whatever it is, the things you let to reside in you are the things that will decide if you're using that key to let sin in, which is crouching at the door, or using that key to lock it out so it stays out there. Where you at with that? Where you at with that? If, if I was to be the whole way honest, I, I'm like a 75-25 right now. 75% of the time, I'm like, no, you're going to stay outside, you dirty dog. You know what I'm saying? I locked that door. I'm not going to be angry at this person. I'm not going to be bitter at this person. I'm not going to maintain, I'm not going to like uh, entertain those lustful thoughts. I'm not going to be stressed out about money. I'm not going to let my marriage fall apart. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to fight for that stuff. Oh, I'm going to take every thought captive. Come on, somebody. And then I'm going to lock that door because sin's crouching and I don't want you in here. But then the other 25% of the time, I let that stuff just sit here. And can I tell you something about anger? When it sits, what does it do? It grows. Can I tell you something about bitterness? When it sits, what's it do? It grows. Lust, when it sits, it grows. Anxiety, when it sits, it grows. Depression, when it sits, it grows. And you want to know what happens when it grows? Eventually it comes out. Because it can't be contained in here anymore. You can't fight it anymore. And all of a sudden, the key that could have locked sin out there and leave, left it crouching at the door. And, and y'all, listen, I, I, this is on you. This is nobody else's fault. And it's on me. It's nobody else's fault in my life. I use that same key to let sin right in. Can, can I just be real? Of something? Like, I think the things we hold on to that are more common than anything else are these ideas of bitterness and resentment. I don't know why God's right now telling me to highlight those two. Someone wronged you, someone frustrated you, maybe even from a distance, you just don't like how somebody's doing something. And it started out this big, so tiny, so minuscule, so minuscule, and you just sat on it and 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 sat on it. And next thing you know, what was a minor offense, you almost hate the person. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? Anybody understand what I'm saying? Can I tell you something about that same bitterness, that same resentment, that same anxiety, all that stuff? Who's that killing? You. That's not killing them. They don't even know you have it. And the problem with that is I've had too many, we're peacemakers here at Grace, and we really, really live that out. I promise you on a weekly basis behind closed doors, there are numerous peacemaking conversations happening. They're always awkward. They're always amazing. 
But you know what I've seen time and time and time again? Someone comes and they get to the table and you can tell they're angst up. They got issues with either you or somebody you know. Maybe I had one couple recently where I was just mediating. I was just in the room. And the minute someone walks in, I was like, oh, law, there's a cloud. <laughs> it started like this. It's literally an ethereal cloud around them right now. It's tangible. You can feel it. And then they start talking and vomiting their anger and their bitterness and resentment. And they get down to the base of it. And it was something this big. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've sat on that for a year and let it make you hate this person and consume your whole life. And meanwhile, that person's living happily and merrily and has no idea they did anything to you. Do you see how what we let reside in here is either the key to let sin in or the key to lock sin out? Y'all hear me right now? So what's it for you? Oh, I feel like that one vibed. There's Holy Spirit. I call them Holy Spirit waves where, like, you can tell people are like, oh, crap. <laughs> people are like, you got me, Jesus. Yeah, in, in this situation, I just talked about all this. God, God's fully aware of what's about to happen, yet what's he do? He gives Cain, fill in your name. He gives you an opportunity to do it right. He gives you a way out. He says, hey, if you do what's right, you're not going to have to deal with any of this. Those problems that he knows three verses later Cain's about to have, you're not going to have to deal with any of that if you do what's right. Now, how about this? The first problem wasn't what he did externally. The problem was what he allowed internally. I gave a message, I don't know, like a year or two ago, and I said that, do you know it's your choice that when people bring you stuff, they come out the kitchen with whatever cooking, it's your choice to receive what they sent. You do not have to take what somebody sent you, take what, how about this, take what the devil sent you, take what your mother-in-law sent you, take that friend who tends to say mean things to you, take my four-year-old daughter who called me chunky the other day, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you, you can take those things and receive them where you can say, nah, 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 that's not for me. The problem is I think that we accept it sometimes, and once it gets in here, it can be hard to get out. As a culture, I think what we do, and that's where all these self-help books and psychology degrees and all this stuff come out, and we have more of a mental health need than we've ever needed ever in the history of the world, and mental health is a very real thing. I want to be clear about that, yet there's also a reason we have way more of it now than we've ever had before, and I think what we do as a culture is we focus so much on the behavior rather than what's behind it. Man, there's something deeper than why they're acting the way they're acting. Can I tell you, working in a big church, I've had a lot of people say a lot of offensive things to me. <laughs> Whether or not they knew they were doing it. And God has taught me to think, no, 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 something's going on in them. That's why they're acting like that. I'm not going to hold them to what they just said to me. And, and you know what I just did when I did that right there? No room for bitterness and resentment to start sitting here to where a year later, I, don't, I, I see that person in the lobby, I don't even know their name, and I'm like, you're the worst. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> so whatever the situation is, do you know God always provides you a way out? God always provides you a way out. Hebrews 11 talks about that. Or maybe that's not Hebrews 11, I forget what that is. Anywho. What you allow in here is the key to what happens out there. And after Cain offers less of what should have been God's, he harbors this anger. He goes on to commit the offense that makes this story famous. It's followed by the consequences in verse 9. Verse 9. This is the last point we're going to talk about. It says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? Again, he, kn he knew, yet he asks. Think about that. 
Where's your brother? I don't know. He replied, I'm my brother's keeper. Okay. God asked. He lied. How many times God come to y'all like, hey, he convicts you like, you know, you shouldn't do that anymore. And you're like, I didn't. <laughs> I don't even feel that way about that person. I haven't even fallen into that in a long time. And God's like, do you know? Do you know? I'm like, he, like okay. He says, we'll talk tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Immediately, he's like, bro, I gave you the chance. He lied right to my face. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. He literally tells him, like, I already knew the answer, bro. I'm God. Stop playing with me. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. I just want to highlight one thing from that, is that before God dishes out the consequences, he gives Cain another chance. This is the second time that he was like, Cain, let's do better, brother. Let's do a little bit better right now. It's the second time he does this. He gives him a chance to say what's right, to confess, to be real, and yet that same anger and shame comes out with a lie. How often do we let what's happening in our life reflect on how we feel about God? Well, today's been a really hard week, God, so you suck. Or like, I've dealt with this, or I've lost this person. How could you be good if I lost this person? I've felt that exact feeling. Or why would you give me all these things? Why does all this feel like it's coming and attacking me right now? God, where are you at? And yet what we're doing, whether or not we know it, is letting what's here reflect up there. Well, I've got anger and shame here from something I did Therefore, I'm going to reflect that onto how I communicate and treat God. Don't get me wrong. I like the idea of being able to yell at God. He can handle your problems. And we sound like this. And he's like, I love you. We think we sound bold, you know what I'm saying? But we can. We can be real with God. We can talk to God. We can be angry with God. He wants all of that stuff because he can handle it. Yet I wonder how many times we take what God never did and reflect it onto him. Cain did that here. He almost got sarcastic. He was like, am I my brother's keeper, bro? What's up? What you going to do about it? There was arrogance in that, wasn't it? How, how often are we arrogant with God? Oof. So let's keep, let's keep going. Verses 13 then through 16. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. There's always consequences, by the way, for sin. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'm going to be a restless wanderer on earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Ooh, God just hit me with something. This is not in the notes. Do you notice God didn't say that last part to Cain? God said, I'm going to strip this ability to make crops and I'm going to make you a restless wanderer. And then Cain says, I'm not going to be able to grow crops. I'm going to be a restless wanderer and everyone's going to kill me. Do you know how often our pessimistic side fill in blanks God never said? Do you know how often in our own heads we just mess with things that God said something completely different about? God never said someone's going to kill you. God just said you're going to wander. And yet so often we're like, well, that's good. And then verse 16, 15, but the Lord said to him, not so, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence, so not a good place to be, and lived in the land of Nod, Nod, east of Eden. We're going to stop there. We're actually not going to read the rest of the passage. 
This is wild to me. This, this specific part is wild to me because even after the bad offering, we just talked a lot about offerings and we're about to do a little bit more there. We just, he he give a, gives a bad offering. He has this anger and resentment that's the key to that sin crouching outside the door, which ended up uh, involving a literal murder. And he's got all this other stuff. He literally lies to God. This dude is racking up major offenses in this passage in just a few verses. Yet, God literally says, hey, I'm going to protect you anyways. How many of us mess up and think God left us? How many of us mess up and think God couldn't be with me? How many times have you done something you know you shouldn't do, and your instinct's not to go pray or read the Bible, it's that you can't pray or read the Bible for a couple days? Can I tell you, I do that. If I mess up with something, I think I'm unworthy. Like, how could I go right to God? And yet here, Cain has this list of offenses. And are there consequences? Yes, there will always be consequences. Cain gets consequences. But what sticks out to me are the consequences. It's that after all the consequences, God still chooses to protect him. From almost page one, God's teaching us something. And my last point is this. God's mercy is greater than our mistakes. God's mercy is greater than your mistakes. This is not an uncommon teaching in the evangelical Christian church, nor should it be uncommon. Why? From page one to page whatever is the last page in the Bible, he's saying you're going to screw up again and again and again. And listen, I want better for you, and there are consequences for your sin, and you could, if you so choose, avoid that sin that's crouching at the door. But guess what? I'm so good, and I love you so much, and I'm perfect, and you can never be perfect. My mercy is going to always be greater than your mistakes. You know what's so unique about our faith? And I hate, I hate, and that's the right word, H8. I hate it. When people are like, what's different than your religion than any other? They all serve the same God. And I'm like, first of all, that's the most off-base thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You've clearly never read any of them. But secondarily, you want to know what's the primary difference? No other religion says God came and did it for you. All other religions say you have to go do it. you got to be good enough to be reincarnated as the right thing. You have to pray at specific times every day and maintain these religious traditions. And if you aren't, you're not part of our faith. And God said, on your repent, like your last day of life, you could have lived the way. You could be Hitler, y'all. You could be Hitler, y'all. And if Hitler repented to Jesus on the last day of his life, you are going to celebrate in forever with Hitler. No other religion says that. And I would encourage you, if that's hard for you to accept, then why do you deserve to be in heaven? You don't. <laughs> That's the point. God's mercy is infinitely greater than all of your mistakes. Cain just, he's just like mistake, mistake, mistake. And these are $100 bills. Mistake, 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 mistake. And God's like, hey, I know you're not going to die. I'm actually going to even mark you. Do you know you're marked? That's for another day. He's going to mark you and say, hey, no one can kill you. Do you know you have a God? I don't care what you did this morning. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care how bad your week's been. I don't care if you've been a heroin addict for 40 years. His mercy is greater than your mistakes. He's chasing you down. He's pursuing you. And he's going to protect you amidst you. These are the things that just this morning like made me like literally 
freaking baby. I'm like, I'm still boogery from it, y'all. Like, has that hit you lately? How much bigger his mercy is than your mistakes? Because two instances in this chapter alone, people do really bad things. And while there are consequences, he lets the people's story go on. If you woke up this morning and you're breathing, he let your story go on. If you don't think you're as bad as Cain, yet you woke up breathing this morning, that means he let your story go on. If you woke up breathing this morning, that means his mercy is truly greater than your mistakes because you made mistakes yesterday that were offensive to God, and yet you're still here. Somebody got to hear it today. I don't know who it is. And listen, this just points right back to what we've been talking about, y'all. The Bible so, I mean, it just all, it wraps into itself. This just points right back to God as the main character of this story. If you were the main character of your own story, you wouldn't be here this morning. If you were the main character of your story, your mercy is not good enough to cover your mistakes. Yet you're not the main character God has been the main character from page number one. And we as secondary, tertiary, quaternary, I don't know what the fifth one is. I'm removed from college a little bit. Whatever characters we are, we are, we are so, like when we make mistakes, it actually does this for the main character. It lets the main character show off who he is. How about this, y'all? Your mistakes show off who God is. Do you ever think about it that way? So from day one, we see this character of God who's the same character today. And if you walked in with shame today, walked in feeling unworthy today, you made mistakes last night, this morning, maybe you've been great, but God's become mundane to you. I would argue if you've been a Christian for 40 years and God's just another thing you do, that's more dangerous than the broken person who knows he needs him. Whatever that is for you, wherever you are for that, that same God who helped Adam and Eve have a son after they broke the first rule, that same God who protected Cain after he killed his brother and lied to God's face is the same God's mercy that's available for you today. And that's not if. It's when you'd accept it. And in a second here, we're going to transition into so worship in, in a time of offering. And you're like, really, Phil? You're going to pass buckets around and ask for money? No! When's the last time we did that? We're going to offer something different. We're going to have five buckets up here, literally offering plates. By them is going to be, actually, I'll start setting them up right now. I'll show you visuals. By them is going to be stacks of paper. In this time, we're going to also go into a song called New Wine once we get there, which says, make me an offering, y'all. We should want that today. We're going to go into this time. We encourage you this. Whatever it is today as I talked, and I talk about these ideas of offering and what God's doing, and I left all my pens over there. I'll just keep talking to delay the moment. <laughs> Whatever it was that stuck out to you today that you haven't been offering like, like, you haven't been giving the full, fattened, first fruit portion. You're going to offer that today. What you're going to do is you're going to walk up whenever the Holy Spirit leads you, and you're going to write it on one of these pieces of paper. And I'm going to encourage you in this. When you write it, don't just write it and drop it. Write it and pray to God about it. 
write it and talk to God about it. Here's why I say that. Because after Cain made his mistakes, what was the first thing he did? Talk to God. He didn't talk to him right, but he talked to God. And I don't know what it is for you because there isn't anything inherently powerful in coming up here and writing some words on a piece of paper and then walking away. But you want to know where there is inherent power? That when you take a physical step of obedience to commit something to the Lord, it prompts something spiritually. What did we just talk about? When you got stuff in here that you're not letting out, it stays in here. And that's the key to how you live. That's the key to whether or not you let sin in the door. That's the key whether or not you grow or not. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to move somewhere. And we're just going to dim the lights a little bit. And whatever it is for you, whatever God in this time said, hey, 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 first of all, I love you. My mercy is greater than your mistakes. But similar to Adam and Eve, similar to Cain, I have more for you. If you did what was right, if you offered what was right, you'd be favored. You'd be blessed. You would move forward. You'd avoid that hurt. You'd avoid those mistakes. I don't know what it is for you. You do. God does. And then you know what we're going to do? Well, we'll see. I don't even know yet. I'm going to just, I'm going to, once we're done, I'm going to read some. And this is what I promise you is going to happen. People who stayed in their seats, totally okay. It's totally okay. You're going to hear some of them and realize it's you. You're going to hear some of them and know God told you to write it, but, but you weren't ready yet. And that's okay, but someone else was ready. Therefore, God's going to teach you through someone else. That's confessional community right there, by the way. Teach you through someone else, hey, it's time. Give me the first. Give me the best. Because me in any other place but first is the wrong place. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to dim the lights, and we're going to let you guys, let Holy Spirit lead you to come on up, okay? Jesus, I want to do nothing but thank you for you right now. You, You have spoken to me in a fresh way this morning that admittedly you have or, or I haven't listened to in a while. And I thank you that even after we say yes to you, you keep coming after us. It doesn't stop. I pray every person in this room would feel freshly that you love them, that your mercy is greater than their mistakes, but also that you want more for them. In the same way that you are an all-good, all-holy God, we're called to give you all of us. So, Lord, even in this moment, convict us via your Holy Spirit healthily, encouragingly of what we need to offer up today and make us bold enough to do it. We offer this time to you. We offer these offerings to you, God, and we pray that they glorify you and that you look down on them favorably. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.